Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hola socios, hola equipo, my name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Norberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh, Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of the big interview. My name is Neil, I'm originally from Scotland but now living in Barcelona. Hey, why did I become a socio? Well, you could reference uh, Mr Hunter's knowledge and access to some great football characters but I'm going to go for his exceptional use of swear words. He really seems to strike the right chord. They're not overused. <laughs> As a Scotsman, it's something I uh, really value. My favourite interview of the season, I'm going to go for Kevin Kilban. He came across as a really open, honest, funny and down-to-earth guy. In general, it seemed like the sort of person you could happily sit down, have a pint with him and just listen to his stories. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Interview at the World Cup. My name's Neil White and this right here is Graham Hunter. Hello. <laughs> Quarter final time, everybody. And on this show we'll be looking at the first two matches played tomorrow, starting with Uruguay versus France. Uruguay have one big injury concern, one half of their Jagger-Richards combo up front. Graham, does Edison Cavani of PSG play alongside Luis Suarez? And what does it mean for them if he does not? Yeah, I suppose you're calling um, Cavani's got to be Jagger, doesn't he? I think that's clear. What what became just as clear is that Cavani didn't rupture a muscle, um, which is what it looked like at first, having scored those two absolutely wonderful goals, um, the second of which is a picture piece. It seems that he's got very heavy bruising in a calf. Now, as we record this, he's missed training. Um, and at this distance from a match, it would be unusual for Oscar Tavares, the sort of renowned coach who's now in his fourth World Cup with Uruguay, to risk Cavani, although the temptation must be almost overwhelming. And, and the history of big championships like this in the summer is full of decisions whereby normally you're taught don't risk. Don't risk at the end of a huge long summer with a star player who's carrying an injury and you think, ah, but the tournament is magic. Or this player is special or we can't do without him. And therefore, while Cavani, given the modern techniques of, of player recuperation and the fact that it's not um, a torn muscle, Cavani being part of the squad, being on the bench um, for extremis, that's feasible. I don't think he starts, Neil. I think that what we see is the man with a misspelled uh, Christian name, literally, uh, Christian Stuani, where his parents wanted to uh, christen him Christian, but got the spelling all wrong. So when you see it up on the screen and you think it's a graphic mistake, it's not. Just like uh, Dennis Bergkamp's dad thought that Dennis Law had two N's in his first name. Um, and just like Yeri Mina was supposed to be Jerry Mina, but the Y got in place of the J, and what can you do? I think Stuani, this slightly strange striker who's suffered a lot for the fact that he can he can just about play anywhere up front in any formation, either wide position, play second striker or nine. I think his chances of of coming into this game, starting this game. 
um, go up dramatically. And if you looked at his scoring record prior to this season, you would probably despair a little bit because um, certainly in my experience while he played in Spain, Levante, Racing, Espanol particularly, where his service was better, Stuani was one of these footballers who seemed to have the movement, the pace. He's, he's slender but athletic. So even as his age has caught up with him, he gets about the pitch really quickly and he's got a quite nice turn of pace over four or five metres. And I've never denied the fact that Stuani will find space quite well. And for his height, he's really not too bad in the air. He's got a reasonable uh, leap um, and he directs his headers well. And yet, if you look back across his entire career, uh, certainly in top-level football, there was one season with Albathetti when he scored um, 22 times in 39 matches. But in top-division football, until this season, he's been ultra-frustrating. And therefore, the comparison with Cavani, uh, whether he could or couldn't start this game, would have seemed much more stark before this last year. When anybody who's a fan of either what we do or, or Revista or follow Spanish football through any means, would know that he was the central plinth of Girona, not only coming up, but establishing themselves as the most successful, points-wise, team ever to come up from the second division in Spain to La Primera. Now, his goals um, were absolutely crucial because they arrived regularly. 21 is by far, it's very nearly double the most goals he's ever scored in a top league. And... It seemed clear watching him that something about what he'd learned in English football had changed him. He was certainly more willing to, to get involved in... Not, when I say physical combat, I don't mean fighting. He, he would take knocks and not roll around and be mourned. He would not be put off his task. He seemed far more rigorous, but also there was a confidence about him. Now, whether he found it easier to score goals in Spain, having... You know, I've been in a dogfight with Middlesbrough for the majority of his career um, there. Um, I, I wouldn't like to say. Um, but certainly, if you look at um, his opponents um, in this quarterfinal, he scored three times against um, Rafa Varane, Real Madrid uh, against Girona. The first of which, one goal in a 2-1 win. So he's beaten a team containing uh, Rafa Varane. He also um, made his debut in um, for Girona in the Primera Division, scoring twice against a team with Lucas in it in a 2-2 draw against Atletico Madrid, where, in fact, Girona led 2-2. Now, his two games against Hugo Lloris um, for Middlesbrough didn't bring goals, but you have to talk about confidence in a striker like this who will feel the weight of expectation on him, given that he's, we say at the stage, likely to stand in for Cavani. But to look at opponents against whom you've scored, now he didn't play against Barcelona, he hasn't faced him, Titi, um, domestically. But to know that you've um, been part of a small team uh, with ostensibly less quality at Girona than there is at Uruguay, and you've not only drawn with but beaten um, a couple of your principal opponents up against whom you're going to be going, that's got to be a major boost. And... Um, well, for the value of the World Cup, because Cavani is genuinely except, uh, exceptional, he's, to my way of thinking about it, Uruguay's Drogba. Not only a brilliant combination of power and technique, but he's got that special thing, that daring, that a player who makes things happen, a player around whom defenders are going to be terrorised. He very re rarely, Cavani, has a game where... Whether his form is good or not, he very rarely has a game where he's not present. So therefore, it's definitely a loss, but I'm arguing less of a loss than it would have been had Stuani not had the last couple of seasons, those those two at Middlesbrough and then the one at Girona where he's blossomed, late, late blossomer, Neil, but still somebody who can, can genuinely threaten Uruguay. Although I'll throw this in, did you watch... Um, Luis Suarez commenting from the training ground that they just finished their um, serious and lengthy penalty preparations where he teased everybody on social media. Well, he was saying, guess who got the, who scored the most penalties? By happenstance, it was Stuani. Suarez left it dangling there for a couple of hours before he let the answer out. 
But I think that while I've always been an advocate that practicing penalties, that muscle memory, irrespective of the difference in pressure between training and matches, it's an obvious tactic. It's an absolute essential um, tactic. And I think it, it helped Ika Casillas because we always talk about practicing penalties, don't we, in terms of those who score. But having watched over the winning tournaments, the penalty shootout battles between Pepe Reina and Ika Casillas at the end of training, I was always certain that Ika Casillas' ability to pull up brilliant saves, which won them two tournaments and got them through to the final of the Confederations Cup um, after a, an agonising semi-final draw with Italy. I, I thought that was a really big part of it. And maybe people would legitimately say, ah, that kind of tells you a little bit with Cavani probably missing what you require preparing us for, which is, you know, stalwart defence and getting all the way to penalties. But wouldn't you want to be ready just in case anyway, I think? Yeah. Um, I, I wonder as well if Stuani's age 31 and the versatility that you already talked about might mean that he is at least, if he is an inevitable downgrade from Cavani, then at least he can replicate Cavani's role to some degree so it doesn't upset the entire Uruguay system. And then if they... If they want to play that way against France, I guess we then look further down the pitch to uh, to their phenomenal defence, marshalled as ever by Diego Godin. Maybe the, the biggest reason Uruguay have the joint best defensive record at this tournament. And I'm going to say it at this stage in contention for the, for the player of the tournament, although Uruguay almost certainly need to progress to make that a possibility. Looking back at their early group games, there were times when Godin saw the attack wasn't working and took responsibility for that as well. He's been a treat to watch, Graham. Yeah, and, and that won't be news to anybody who's a La Liga fan because there's, you know, oodles of character as well as ability. You know, you look back at this season when he had half the front of his teeth smashed out, he had them replaced and he was back within, I think, 10 days. Um, he is a leader in the truest sense that it's not all about um, roaring at the troops and um, clenched fists, although you get some of that. It's, it's by example too. He, like um, Sergio Ramos, loves a goal. I'm pretty certain now, I haven't checked for a while, scored the goal that won Atleti the, the title at um, Barcelona, uh, the camp now in the last game of the 2013-14 season. But he is somebody whose ability and whose athleticism and whose dedication to training intensely and what kind of nick he's in inspires others and therefore when we talk about a leader by example we, we often talk about accepting pressure showing for the ball on the pitch being sure to take risks whether it's a difficult last ditch tackle in the penalty box or appearing late for a set play but with Godin it's it's so much more than that it, it's about how he comports himself he is a, a kind of Pretty serious, pretty reserved, but still nonetheless intense man. Liked hugely at Atletico Madrid. Um, bought at a tremendously cheap price. Villarreal um, probably let him go too soon, too easily. And he's assumed, if you can be the, the outright leader, um, captain's armband aside, now that Gabby's moved um, to Qatar, there seems a natural replacement there, I'd argue, but... Godin, irrespective of Gabby's armband, has been leader at Atleti. Now, if you're a leader in that team um, with that culture, then it says a great deal about how you do everything every day. I think that's counted a great deal. And, and what's interesting is I think people will immediately look at the fact, you did, we were talking about this, that he's largely got Jose Jimenez by his side. Now, Jimenez is, to, to my way of thinking, although he's extremely aggressive, not to say occasionally thuggish, temperamental too. He is a very, very good central defender who I think is is waiting now for that moment of playing maturity, which I don't think personally he's quite reached yet. And it's interesting that Atleti, although he fits in terms of how he plays, what his attitude to winning is, he fits the, the personality at, at Atleti. It's still the case that he's used relatively sparingly He's only relatively recently turned 23, but he's a player who should be, I think, featuring a great deal more. Only 17 starts in La Liga for Cholo Simeone. 
Now, it must help that they're partners uh, at club level, that they work together, that they understand each other, that the dialogue needs to be minimal. But I think it's also the case that if you look at the coach, Oscar Washington Tavares, and how long he's been there, which is since 2006, how he's revered the fact that he took them to a Copa America title, he took them to fourth in 2010. They were only knocked out, if you remember, in the last World Cup once Suarez had bitten Chiellini and wasn't available for the Colombia match where James Rodriguez settled it with such class. And and for a nation of just about 3.2 million inhabitants, what they represent, at least in my mind, is an opposite to the way that Argentina, if you listen to, I referenced this before, Valdano's really erudite article, which was published in The Guardian, about how values have been forgotten in Argentina and how corruption and a series of bad choices from top to bottom and the way in which the league is played, which he he says is just like a Friday night fist fight every, every weekend. Values have been forgotten, values of what the ball is for and how to treat the ball and um, not just how to pass it, but how to have technique to do special things with it. Uruguay is a country where they settled on a personality um, a long, long time ago and have have never lost sight of it, not once, in terms of it has meant so much to them internationally to be able to be regarded as a winning team, as a senior team, that the the degree to which the, the, the Federation has supported Tabarez, the degree to which Tabarez teaches in the same way he was a primary school teacher throughout the majority of his playing career, um, and the way in which there's been a consistency of ideal that has obviously helped, and it's obviously helped maximise the talent. Because if you look throughout this team, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch Lucas Torreira, but I still would argue that it's it's a triumph of the collective. I don't know if you see that. I don't know if you agree with that. But that's why I have some thoughts that even without Cavani, um, there is a possibility that, that Uruguay and pull this match off simply because the culture of the country is is not about stars. And Tabarez had, had a, a witty aside the other day about, never mind training stars, I train people, humans. So if I want to see stars, I look at the heavens, which is fine. But I think he meant something serious by it too. This is a collective, and it just so happens that this generation has a smattering of very good players, which has made Uruguay a threatening trophy winners in the Copa America. And a danger, you'd argue, to France in this match. I think so. I think there's a through line of character. You know, even when you're talking about the the star performers in that team, you know, right from, from central defence to centre forward, there's a through line of character. And it's something that you don't always see, well, with a whole bunch of teams, but with their opponents tomorrow, France, you know, you, you don't always see that togetherness, that collective mentality. I take that point. And I think sometimes when you've got a superfluity of, of talent, it, it's it's harder to think like that, and France certainly is a culture where the superstar is promoted. They they, they view um, individuality, they they view Ilan and profile and magazine covers as as being very important. And that's that's not a criticism. It's taken them to the peaks of world football on a regular basis. But I, I do think your point is good that there's a that there's a stark comparison between, you call it a through line, but the, the through line of France is pretty similar in our working lives. Um, and indeed, since, since I was a kid watching um, Cisse and Rocheteau and, and Platini, I remember them as, as having had long hair, class, elan, style. Um, there were always stories about Mm. Inter-romances amongst players and other players' wives. It, it's been a... The through line there for France has also been relatively consistent over my working life. And it's... I, I love your point. It's a good comparison between the two footballing cultures of, of of at least the international sides that we're looking at in this quarterfinal. Yeah, and we know the members of the France team who would appear on those magazine covers that you're talking about. And it's not necessarily one of those guys who I think we're going to look at now. Lucas is a teammate of Godin and Jimenez and a product of Atleti's academy. But he's going to line up against those guys tomorrow. First, let's explain the reasons for that, because let's not, let's not assume that everybody 
knows why that's the case. Lucas and his younger brother, Theo, moved to Madrid aged, I think, two and four, because their father, Jean-Francois, joined Atleti. Graham, explain the evolution of this dynasty from that point, please. Yeah, well, I'll go back before that, because it's interesting. Um, their father moved to Marseille just at the height of the tapis controversy. Um, and I'll, if I name him as a direct replacement for Didier Deschamps, who'd left the club, that might be a little bit too much, but the timing was pretty similar. So Deschamps has been aware of this family since his own Marseille days. Now, when um, their dad moved to Atleti, he, he, he didn't have a massive um, hit at the club, but he did establish a love for Spain. Um, he did establish the fact that the kids would grow up with the right to choose which country they played for. There was, t- to my way of thinking at least, an absolutely extraordinary length of time during which it, it, it really wasn't clear which side was going to win the battle to have um, Lucas. And France have made an absolutely brilliant decision um, and so have Atleti in forcing this kid to stay. But Real Madrid haven't. Now, in my view... The, to go back a couple of years, it was in the Christmas of Pep Guardiola's first season at Manchester City that City tried to buy both brothers straight out of the Atleti Cantera, the youth system. Neither of them were um, by any means regulars. The flow of ability at Atleti was such that they were being forced to fight their way through. Indeed, Teo was loaned out to Alaves and was... Uh, a good-looking part of that at fullback of that Alaves side, which got to the cup final. Now, what that success hid with Teo, something that Real Madrid didn't realise because they bought his his buyout, which was obviously looked at the end of that Alaves season, which is the end of not this past season, but the one before. It looked like a mortal blow of um, embarrassment, at least, that Madrid could go into the Atleti Cantera and buy this guy who'd looked so good, in an Alaves side which was one at the camp now in the league, was threatening in the league, got not their highest ever because they're a proud club, but one of their highest um, league finishes and rather close enough second to Barcelona in the cup final. And what's turned out is that Teo is not much of a player. He's a fantastic athlete. If you ask him to be thoroughly defensive only, then Teo is um, somebody who can definitely do you a job and he can run up and down all day. But if you ask him to do complicated things with the ball or if you ask him to think, then it turns out he's a little bit of a knuckle-dragger. And to be honest with you, he's pretty unpleasant to watch. He's an outright faker of injury. Um, He's a bully. I have very little time for watching Teo Hernandez. And while everybody merits a a chance of redemption in this life. I'd like to see him mending his ways pretty soon. Now, where he contrasts with Lucas is that, you know, all the football brain is on is on that part of the, the pair of brothers. To, to my way of thinking, Lucas is an extremely intelligent, technically able, also athletic and also very hard. And there's no a quarter asked or given from, from Lucas either. I'm not painting him to be the... Florence Nightingale of of the pair of brothers. But he is distinctly a better reader of the game. This has been proven throughout La Liga, um, particularly this season when each of them is is getting reasonable game time for the two big Madrid clubs. And I have to say I'm a big fan of him and I think there's enormous amount still to come if you look at his age and if you look at how much more experience he's going to accumulate. And I think he's been showing it in this tournament. I would argue that you know, in terms of not just defensively, but in terms of defenders and their performance, that he's one of the interesting standout footballers. I, I've really enjoyed what I've seen of him so far for France. I think he's very, very important indeed. And given that I reckon Stuani plays and Stuani has license to drift out wide, outright, that there may be um, a clash of Girona and Atletico Madrid in this quarterfinal between France and Uruguay. But I'm just somebody who's an enthusiast. I'm, I'm pleased to see that the that this interesting story about how um, a dad moved from Marseille to Spain, stayed, and his two kids 
have grown up in Spanish football, split loyalties between the two Madrid clubs. And, and now it's, it's Lucas who's gone to the World Cup. It's Lucas who's a starter for France. I'm enjoying seeing quality being rewarded. And hopefully quality is what we're going to see in that first quarterfinal tomorrow. Graham, if you had to predict an outcome, what would it be? Well, I'd, I'd like to say that I've seen enough good in France, apart from the Denmark match, whereby, again, I'm enjoying Kante, I'm enjoying Pogba. And if you look at the ability in the two sides, if you look about how France have shown in this World Cup that they're capable of playing, I'd like it to be that if Uruguay beat them, it's not on extra time and penalties. I don't actively want to say I, I want France to go through because I'd love to see Uruguay in a semi-final with Cavani fit again. And the, the quality of that story um, would be extremely high. And Cavani has helped light up this World Cup. But given how I expect Uruguay to face the game, what what would please me most is that we see France at their best. We see Griezmann, who's... Suffering from Achilles' pain, Varane, who missed training, Neil. Listen, we, we're not close enough to kick off to give an up-to-date team listing. I expect Griezmann to start, but he has definitely got um, pain in his Achilles. I expect Varane to start, but he missed training on Thursday because to say exhaustion is too strong a word, but the physios and the medics in the French team have reckoned that a guy who is consistently injured, stress injuries, for um, Real Madrid, never really keeping out for a long time, but recurring such that it's evident that the type of treatment that Arjun Robin got at Bayern Munich compared to at Real Madrid, which elongated his playing career and augmented his numbers that he could turn out each year for Bayern Munich dramatically compared to particular, and not all his previous clubs, but particularly at Real Madrid. That's something that they're applying to Varane. So Varane has had a session free of training, simply so that he can be, one, at his sharpest, and two, not suffering any threat of a, of a muscle pull. So there are little elements on each side, um, but, but I honestly believe that in Mbappe, who we talked about sufficiently the other day, there is potentially um, maybe even the star of the tournament, maybe. It's, it's an awful lot to ask somebody who's become the first of that age since Pelé to score two goals in the same game in the World Cup. But nonetheless, if we see a clear-cut winner, I expect it to be France. And if we're going to see Uruguay playing for extra time and penalties, then that won't be my favourite result. And therefore, I hope that form and, and style win the day and that it's France that are going through. OK, let's take a break. Coming up, Brazil versus Belgium. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back, Graham. I don't think we talked much about Belgium in previous pods, but I do know you have a view on the critical moment of their World Cup so far, which happened late, late in their round of 16 tie with Japan. The game locked at 2-2 and the ball in the hands of Thibaut Courtois. Yeah, it's, it's first of all, I, I'm, I'm pretty anti the idea, which I've seen 
touted around, namely by Lee Dixon, that, that Japan were moronic in the 94th minute to put the ball into the box against a team which is decent in the air, where Courtois is, I don't know, 6-4, comes and wins the ball. But I think that that's a very cheap shot. On the pitch, if Lee Dixon's one of those players and he wants to counsel his team to hold the ball in the corner and not put it into the box and ensure extra time, fine. And it's quite a cheap shot when we love winning endings. We love Jack in, in the box performances, whereby if Japan put that in and, you know, Belgium deflect it into their own net or Courtois comes and drops it and Inui, who was, you know, just a fabulous presence in the match and the first one that Roberto Martinez went to the uh, went to, to, to commiserate with at the end, which I thought was a really classy little touch for this guy who's going to be a starter for Real Betis next season. He was absolutely fabulous um, up in the Basque Country all last season and he was damn near man of the match and Japan were damn near extra time. They didn't get there. I just thought that was a little bit of a cheap shot. But when Courtois comes and takes... The things that I love are, without um, attributing everything to uh, Pep Guardiola in this world, it's De Bruyne who's awake. It's De Bruyne who is instantly, he sees that Courtois is going to take it, not that he's taking it. He's showing for the Belgian keeper immediately outside his own penalty box. And his run then drives him down the middle, which is to pull players there and to leave space for Mounier. So at this point, Courtois has been awake and thinking. A Pep Guardiola-trained player in De Bruyne, who's classy anyway, who is intelligent anyway, but nonetheless, I swear that Pep Guardiola will have been watching that, going, that's my boy, that's what I taught you. Stay awake, stay, like, find the dope. Last minute doesn't mean always... Um, last minute before halftime, it can mean last minute before the final whistle. It can mean when the ball goes dead for a free kick or a, a throw in. And this was, with due apologies to Japan, find the dope because they were stretched. They weren't quite ready. They weren't quite covering that gap. What happens later in the move is beautiful. But that gap um, where De Bruyne sprints into and is and drives the play, absolutely sure that he can influence matters. And he's not just looking to waste time himself. He's not worried about being counter-attacked thereafter. He's driving, and he drives down the centre so that Mounier can overlap. And the ball is perfect. That's one of the things that I remember since I was a young kid, even though when my dad was taking me to Pataudry in the late 60s beginning, and he was never, he was a boxer and a rugby man, the, the single phrase I heard him utter most when I was a kid, and I've always looked for since, is put the ball in front of the man. And you still see in top-level Champions League football and international football a lovely move just being slowed either by the ball being put a little bit behind the player who's on the run or even just in front of his feet where he has to take a pace and the ball from De Bruyne is, is a work of art. It should be the norm, but it's not. And if you look at where Lukaku starts, when De Bruyne picks the ball up outside his own penalty area, this is where, again, I want to introduce a theme, an idea at least, Lukaku's movement could easily have been to run directly from right midfield where he is down the right. He could easily have been asking um, for the ball from De Bruyne to be to him and for him to open his body and try a finish like Cavani's, for example. He doesn't do that. Um, Lukaku's run is absolutely fantastic. He bends it in the anticipation that Mounier will overlap him and De Bruyne will find the fullback. And that's exactly what happens. But then again, Thierry Henry as, as the, not just assistant, he's not just second coach to Roberto Martinez. And you've got a point of view on this, Neil, which I'll, I'll let you explain in a second. But I detect, I, I honestly detect Thierry Henry's hand in the fact that Lukaku, who is a scoring machine, who since he was 16 and breaking through in Belgium, lived to score, looked like he focused on scoring above technique because his natural ability, his physical ability, aged um, 16, I'm certain it was at Anderlecht, meant that with his long Rudhulet dreadlock here at that stage, he was holding players off for fun like Rooney was aged 16 uh, at Everton. And... I have always felt that somewhat akin to um, a good player 
who's very tall and therefore never learns to jump and never learns to time because all through his life it's come naturally to him because he's the tallest. Lukaku's actual footballing ability hit a level far sooner than his goal-scoring ability has because his goal-scoring ability is, is I think, underappreciated, under underpraised. But Lukaku in this instance shows really clever play, brains twice, once with the run, and secondly, how does a guy like that, who even though there's a Japanese player near him, he has a right foot finished into Kawashima's left-hand post? He does, but he dummies it. Now, he knows Chadley's there. Chadley uses, I think, the correct foot to finish. I, I, I think that was the right choice. But I, I, I just praise Lukaku ever so much. Whenever you see an over, whenever you see a dummy, you think, right, confidence, team play, um, ability to have peripheral vision about who's around you. But when you see a striker in the 94th minute with a chance to finish and then go, oh, lads, oh, you know, it, it was on target or it just, just passed to the keeper and he dummies it, my hat's off to that. It's, it's easily... By a million miles, that's the goal of the tournament. Just brains, brains and 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 sharp thinking from the instant Courtois catches it to the instant that Chadley tucks it away beautifully. And and I mentioned Henri, and I know that you've got a bit of an inside view on that, Neil. I do. Um, first of all, apologies to listeners in Ireland for a brief mention of uh, Thierry Henry's hand in that goal. And now how you guys feel about Thierry Henry's hand. Backpage published... Football 2.0, a book by Grant Wall just before the World Cup. And you're right, one of the guys explaining the changes in the modern game in that book is Martinez, and he talks about appointing Henri. He says, in every job he's had, he's appointed someone of stature who can engage with the players on a different level. This time he wanted an assistant who had played at the top of international football. Henri wanted to move up in his coaching career uh, while maintaining his work for Sky, so it suited him. Anyway, look, this is this is what Martinez said. Uh, to Grant Wall in the book. He's someone who has been through what the players are going through right now. They're a great generation that has a lot of expectation, but they have never won a major tournament. He can influence our players a lot from a mental point of view. He's a young coach with incredible potential. So that's Henri and and the reason that um, Martinez has him as part of the puzzle. And, And the deeper the tournament goes, I think the more the more that stuff can come into play, you know, the more valid that appointment becomes. Yeah, but you, you touched on one thing there about the, the degree at which we've said for several years that Belgium have enough talent, I mean, just an inordinate amount of talent, that they should be tournament winners. I think it's got to the stage now, um, even given what's in front of them, that if they don't win this tournament, it will be probably the biggest disappointment in their international history and when I was growing up Belgium were an extraordinary side and way back um, in I want to say 86 it was probably only the brilliance of Diego Maradona that stopped them having a right good chance of winning that tournament but like without neither of us are trying to exaggerate this point and saying it's all down to Thierry Henry we're talking about how elements in a jigsaw fit together with that click sound where you go ah, yeah, now that that was a missing part and it's right. So, for example, while I thought that the visual evidence of that goal against Japan spoke about alertness, intelligence, confidence, box-to-box football, all of which applies to Thierry Henry, he regularly caused or participated in or scored goals like that, and including one for Arsenal where he ran the length of the pitch um, to score in a 1-0 win at Real Madrid. Um, which I think was part of their route to the 2006 Champions League final in Paris against Barcelona. What's been happening in Russia has been Romelu Lukaku answering questions about Thierry Henry and saying, he was one of my idols since when I was a little kid and I have improved hugely with the advice he gives me about how to play when I don't have space. And then Eden Hazard, potentially the best player in Belgium on his day, arguably one of the best players at the World Cup. He says, it's a luxury to have Thierry Henry helping coach this team. Our progress since Thierry joined us is evident. 
Axel Witzel, um, a superb footballer in my mind, who's underperformed and, and again in my eyes made a lucrative choice for his bank balance to, to move to Russian football. But I don't think his progress has, has matched the, the number of noughts in, in the end of his um, bank account. His idea is that Thierry Henry knows how to win things, shows us how to win things, and is helping us to break psychological barriers. All of which seems to me to echo exactly what you said Roberto Martinez had in mind when when he appointed um, Titi Henry in the very first place. And Henry again, I'm not going to be shy about mentioning this, Henry again, a total devotee to the Pep Guardiola way of thinking, as is uh, Roberto Martinez. Somebody who, you know, even at a late stage in his career, when he moved to Barcelona, utterly had to rethink his idea of football alertness, football tactics, um, football technique, football brains, uh, by being taught under Pep Guardiola. I think in, in England, on Sky, over the last couple of years, he's made absolutely clear his devotion to Guardiola's theories and ideas. And if we, if we threw, and I did, if we threw a grain of credit to Pep Guardiola for his teaching to Spanish football since he arrived in 2008 at senior level, seven at junior level, and, and Spain's subsequent World Club triumph in 2010... And then we threw a grain of importance, again, I did, to Guardiola's arrival at Bayern Munich and the way that the German national team shuffled forward a little bit in terms of their mentality, just changed, again, the, the smallest clicking to place of, of a key item and their, and their World Cup triumph in 2014. I, I, I'm not saying that the effect is the same now. It's not identical now. But when you look at De Bruyne and when you look at Thierry Henry and their additions, um, their advancement of what is already an elite squad of players with an elite bench, the fight to get on that bench is brutal if you look at the players. And and therefore, I'm happy to say that, that, that Brazil at least... Even given the ridiculous way in which um, Belgium defended against Japan um, to go 2-0 down, even given the fact that Belgium do not look rock solid at the back yet. And there's a nice little story because there's a, a TV um, TV set, electrical company, which has promised all their customers, you'll see the best definition of the World Cup if you buy our sets. And if Belgium score 15 goals, then we'll give every one of you customers your money back. You can keep your TV for free. Now, my count tells me that Belgium are on 12 at the moment. So the TV, these TV sales manufacturers in, in um, Belgium must be praying for Brazil to be on form, but I'm not. Uh, I'd love to see Belgium shock everybody, and I'd love to see Belgium do this. But, um, boy, they'll have to be better at the back. They will be. They're up against a handy front line. Neymar, he's had his moments, good and bad. It looks like he's still waiting for that game that he completely owns and I wonder if this one gets open and he finds space to run at a Belgium defence that had their trouble against a sort of crafty, intelligent attack of Japan. I wonder if that could develop into the kind of game that, that suits the Paris Saint-Germain forward. Yeah, I, I, Neymar has looked to me so far um, in a bit of an emotional place. Um, if you remember what happened to him, and it was absolutely brutal, in, in the World Cup and and how big his absence became for Brazil in the tournament that they were hosting and then how how maturely how determinedly he performed in the Olympics thereafter it very much depends how much he's in control of his emotions and where did we see him weeping I think when he scored in the group matches we saw him weeping at the end falling up with Thiago Silva cursing him for giving the ball back. We've seen him being mocked again, and and of course he doesn't give a damn about the. He's become the single comic figure of um, entire World Cup, including ahead of Batshuayi for kicking the ball off the post and into his own noggin. And I talked before about how consistently Neymar's theatrical antics mask the fact that he is bullied, that he is hacked about, that he is kicked around, and 
I have sympathy for that. And anybody with a pair of eyes can see that. Yet he is so ludicrous in his um, Swan Lake stuff that he's he's become a derisory figure. And I, I resent that. I, I resent seeing talent being used badly. And it feels a lot as if the pressure of, one, knowing that he's at the wrong club and he's made a bad choice. Two, the fact that he missed half the season and was very nearly... Well, he was at least in danger of not performing at his utmost at this World Cup. I, th- I think that has disabled him from playing as maturely and determinedly as he did in the Olympics. I, I honestly think that the crucial factor of how he performs against Belgium, and probably for Brazil, the crucial factor of whether they do or don't go through, given that Gabriel Jesus is, is trying his little heart out, but isn't finding much space and isn't finding much... It's not clicking for him. His form isn't quite right yet then it's absolutely essential that before we even talk about the space that Neymar has afforded, um, how the defenders treat him, what the referee views him as, clown or prince, then for me it's an absolute essential what state of mind is he in. He, he, the, the vibe from the training ground is that he'll be fit, fully fit. There's a Pep Guardiola element, element in this argument too in that Casemiro is suspended. Now, his level of streetwise organisation, what he will and won't do to win games, his positional sense, the fact that no Brazilian, I think, has passed the ball more than Casemiro has so far. He's suspended for what I thought was a needless boot at um, Dos Santos, knowing that one more card was going to miss him. A difficult game. So Fernandinho steps in, a player whose improvement under Pep Guardiola has been absolutely massive. And who played a role, I think, in that um, second goal um, against Mexico, didn't he? It's it's a big deal for Brazil that if Casemiro is absent and they're unsure about their their fullbacks, um, who to pick, whether Marcelo's back spasm is fully gone or hasn't gone, whether they want Felipe Luis's greater defensive rigor against um, you know the width that Belgium supply or not. There are questions surrounding Brazil's preparation and ability to to take on their mantle as favourites in this game. Okay, finally, let's look at one of those fullback positions. Brazil do have a wealth of riches in almost every position, but possibly not right back. They started the tournament with Danilo. They have got this far with Fagner. Uh, Danilo is also back in training. But one of those two guys, it seems almost certain, is going to be faced with the guy who you just called one of the players of the tournament, Eden Hazard, is that a matchup that maybe provides Belgium with one of their primary routes to victory in this game? Well, it's maybe the case. I'd like to see who plays. Does Marquinhos go wide, which he can do? Um, I'm not. I'm just not clear about Danilo's status as a World Cup footballer. Um, Wagner, I know, has drawn criticism. People have targeted him as being... Um, potentially the the weak link. It's it's if you look at the equilibrium between the two f- fullbacks, Marcelo is is a fit an automatic pick because he's simply such a good footballer. You know, there's absolutely no way that you can change his personality, change his attitude to football at this late stage in his career. And and if you've got functional, hardworking, tactically astute players around him, then why would you? Because he's glorious to watch. He does the most outrageous things. And he has this spirit as well of, of I'll risk it, I'll risk it. This, this game is mine. The ball is mine. I'll, I'll do fancy things with it. I love his sense of creative risk. But because, and, and he had a partner in crime in Danny Alves, who without question is one of my favourite footballers ever and one of, my, one of the favourite people I've ever met in football. And the fact that he got injured late on and, and can't be at this tournament has left Brazil with a dilemma um, in that certainly it's it's true that either Marquinhos or Miranda can play wide, right? But they haven't been. Wagner's been trusted. Danilo, I just feel... Danilo's an athlete. Danilo is a little bit like Teo in that um, Teo Hernandez. If you, if you wanted to get up and down, he can do that. He's got the athleticism, he's got the motor, but boy, oh boy, I just fail to see that either positionally or in terms of his 
ultimate distribution from you know high up full back wing back if you want to call it that i just i just don't think he's at the level of the rest of his teammates um occasionally he does special things he hits he strikes the ball well but in terms of elite quality i just think his mentality and his his understanding reading of the game isn't great i don't know enough about wagner um i don't know whether um the fact that mexico gave brazil a pretty hard time um, in the 16 game is an indication that he's an out-and-out weak link. A weak link. I, I'm learning about him. There's no point in saying anything else. But when you're up against either Carrasco or Mertens or um, Eden Hazard drifting wide, um, plus Mernier's runs, there, there's a massive threat. You're right. It's obviously the case that either if whether they start with um, Marcelo fully fit and, and Fagner or they bring in Danilo, irrespective of form and experience, the quality wide for Belgium is so high that it's one of the key points of the game, how um, Brazil managed to defend, whether it's stopping the, the ball getting wide or whether it's stopping the ball once it is wide and supplying to Lukaku. It's, it's, it's got the... Although this has been a pretty extraordinary World Cup, this game has got the, the elements... And the form and the background and the attacking idea of both sets of players to be the game of this tournament. Agree. I can't wait. Okay, that's our show. Tomorrow morning, we'll put up a preview of Saturday's quarterfinals. And immediately after the evening games on both Friday and Saturday, we'll be up with Graham's analysis of the day's matches. So keep up with the podcasts. Thanks for listening throughout this remarkable tournament. And thanks for supporting The Big Interview. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.